Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 4. I'll be saying that a lot to, to start sermons for a while because we will be spending a, a goodly amount of time in John chapter 4. We already have several weeks getting up to this point of really talking about worship. But over the next several weeks, I want us to concentrate in on that and take what Jesus tells the woman at the well here and then expand it out and talk about other passages of Scripture that draw our understanding and draw, draw light uh, to this whole concept of worship. A lot of people struggle with the difference between different aspects of, of the Christian life and, and what might be elements of worship. Uh, some people think, well, prayer is worship. And where, prayer does have a, a dimension of worship, but it Typically, our prayers are not worshipful prayers as much as they are petitionary prayers, asking God for this or that or to do this or that. And, and so prayer is a part of worship and ought to be a vital part of worship as we make it in here, but it's not worship itself. Others, others say, well, worship is praise, and indeed praise is an important element of worship, praising God, exalting Him, lifting up to Him. But, but in many ways, that's just, a, that's just moving toward worship. That's not the fullness of worship. Years ago, uh, a writer wrote a book on worship entitled Worship, All It's Meant to Be. Uh, his name was Sibs, and he, he, he wrote this book, and it was early 1900s when he wrote it, and, and he made this illustration. I think it fits. He said there was this man who was in a boat, and on a boat, a big boat, a lot of people on the boat, and, and the man couldn't swim. And one day, the man, as they were cruising along, the man who couldn't swim fell out of the boat into the water. And as he went in the water and he started going under, he started yelling, help, help. That's prayer, okay? He was asking for help, asking for deliverance, asking for somebody to do something. Another pastor on that boat, well-dressed man, jumped into the water because he could swim. He jumped in the water and he helped the guy stay above the water, drug him back so they could lift him back onto the boat. Uh, he rescued him. And, and when he got on the boat, the man said, thank you, thank you. I want to tell you, I appreciate what you've done. You've saved my life. And, and Sib says, that is praise. Thank you for what you have done. So the next night, the gentleman who saved the other gentleman invited him to dinner at his home. And he went to his home and he found out that the man who had saved him was a rather, rather intelligent guy, a very great scholar and also a very wealthy man. And he saw all that he had and, and he began to understand his character a bit and talk to him a bit and, and got to know him in the setting of his home. And, and all of a sudden this man moved from just saying, oh, he did something for me to understanding who he was and admiring him for who he was. And that became worship. You see, a lot of times in our singing and in our praising and even in our prayers, we, we, we only get to the shallow part. We don't ever come to really know God as we ought to know Him. We don't ever really come to experience Him intimately and to know Him for who He is and what His character is and what He's like. And that's when you move into real worship. When you see the exalted one, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God the Father, and you begin to worship, and you begin to express appreciation, not just for what He's done. God has done a lot for us. 
But a lot of times we get so captivated like the woman at the well did. You remember when, when Jesus said, if, if, if you knew who I was and you asked me, I'd give you water that you'd never thirst again from. And she said, hey, give me that water. I want that water. She wanted what he could do for her. He, she wanted some kind of benefit. And later he'll say in this passage, if you knew, if you only knew that I am he, I am the Messiah. I am the one that has been promised. I'm the ones that, that the fathers have looked forward to. And then you've heard about all of your religious training all through your life. I am that one. And, and you need to understand me for who I am, not for just what I can do. A lot of us never enter into the depth of that saying, Lord, I don't just worship you. I don't just praise you for what you've done. Although, boy, there's a lot to praise him for in the cross and in the, the, the atoning sacrifice that he has given us. But, I, Lord, it's not just what you've done for me. It's who you are. It's the reason I come before you. I want you to hear the encounter a little deeper here, starting in verse, oh, let's start in, I think I said 19. Let's start in verse 16 and read this. And he said to her, go and tell your husband and come here. Go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you've correctly said, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one with whom you are now living is not your husband. This you have truly said. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And I think she's saying there that I perceive you are one who knows God, who God really is working in, who, whom God inspires to speak the truth. You understood my heart in areas that nobody else does that, that has never met me before. I perceive that you are a prophet. Then she immediately goes into this discussion. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. That is Mount Gerizim. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain where the law was given. And you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now, that's partially because the Samaritans only accepted the Pentateuch. They only accepted the first five books of the Bible as the inspired Word of God. The Jews accepted all of it. So naturally, uh, the, the Samaritans would say, oh, this is where we ought to worship because this is where God met with Moses. This is where God met with, actually, beyond, back before Moses, with Abraham and where the first altar was ever built and where Abraham was commanded to offer his son Isaac. So they saw that as the primary place of worship. The, the Jews, on the other hand, the, the Israelites had the, the whole of the Old Testament. They had the, the law, and they had the prophets, and they had the, and, and they had the wisdom literature, and they had David, and all that David did to build the, build the temple in Jerusalem. So they, they saw it a little differently because of what they acknowledged as the, uh, the, the full canon of Scripture, the Samaritans. We're there. And she said, we say in this mountain, you say in Jerusalem is where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I am he. I am the one who has been spoken of. Wow. In those verses, you have a, 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 a plethora of truth about what worship is and what worship is to be. Jesus starts out by saying, listen, it's not a matter of where. It's not a matter of how in, in one sense. It's not a matter of position. It's not a matter of location. The truth of the matter is, you can worship in this mountain. You can worship in Jerusalem. You can worship in the wilderness. You can build a, a tabernacle somewhere else and an altar somewhere else, and you can worship uh, according to that. It's not that God is localized and centralized and only found in one place. And there's coming a time, and that time is now upon you because I am here, Jesus says, when, when the truth will be, you will worship God in spirit and in truth wherever you are. It's not going to be that you got to be at the temple. It's not going to be that you got to be in the mountain here. It's going to be that you will worship wherever you are if you worship in accordance with what God has said. She must have been flabbergasted. Because all her life, she's heard Mount Gezerim is where you must worship. All her life, she's heard the Jews say, but you people are wrong. You ought to worship down at the temple in Jerusalem. Now, we're not going to let you in, but if you were really worshiping, that's where you would be. I mean, the, the struggle was there. And Jesus comes along and says, I am the one that's been promised. I am the Messiah. I am the one that God has promised for generation after generation after generation. And I'm telling you this, it's not a matter of location. It's not a matter of position. It's a matter of knowing God. It's a matter of knowing what God has said about worship throughout all of His Word. Uh, not just in the New Testament. There's a lot in the New Testament about worship. But folks, we as Christians believe that we also look at what the Old Testament says about worship. And much in the Old Testament is about how to worship God, where you, when you worship God, what worship encounters. But it's also a lot in the Old Testament about what worship is not. And we'll see that in a moment. But Jesus centers in on two things that I want us to kind of concentrate on for just a minute. And we're going to come back to this, but I want to kind of introduce it to you today. Two elements. He says, the day is coming, not in this mountain nor in Jerusalem, will you worship the Father, but an hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. What in the world is Jesus talking about when He says that if you really want to worship God, if you really want to understand what worship is, you've got to understand you must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, some would say, well, what he's talking about here in spirit and truth, he's talking about spirit being the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, that you must worship him in the Spirit of God. Indeed, Paul said that to the Philippian Christians. He said, you know, we, we worship in the Spirit of God. We worship by the Spirit of God. We are energized by his Spirit. And that's absolutely true. There's nothing, nothing false about that at all. It's truth. But he also talks about, he's, Jesus is talking about here something even deeper than that. It's not the big S, it's not the capital S spirit here, which is the Holy Spirit, but it's a little S that the translators have put here, and I think rightly so. When, when, 
When Jesus says you must worship him in spirit and in truth, he's talking about from the innermost being, from your own spirit, from energized by the Holy Spirit of God, no doubt, energized by rebirth and regeneration that he talked to Nicodemus about, absolutely. But when you know God and when you're experiencing the presence of God, from your innermost being, from your spirit, you worship him. There ought to be some life to that. Worshiping in the Spirit cannot be done by dead formalism. It can't be done just by some kind of liturgy. Now, I, I, for one, love liturgy. We have liturgy here. You say, no, 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 we're a Baptist church. We don't have liturgy. Oh, really? Just look at this every Sunday. We do the same thing. We do it in order. And, and when you change it around, people get all messed up. I dare say it was really confusing. Some of those poor kids have to go out with ushers today, you know, and, and move the same time. Of course there's liturgy. Nothing wrong with liturgy if liturgy is alive, if liturgy is based on your spirit and it's coming from deep within your heart to where you're just worshiping the one that you know, the one who's changed your life, but the one you've come to know in all of his glory. And we'll talk about that glory and those attributes some in, in the next few weeks. As you come to know God, you worship him as God with the spirit. You know, you've no doubt probably made the comment before, well, I have this friend or I have that friend that's, that's really seeking God right now. Now, Scripture tells us no one seeks God uh, in their own initiative. Only those whom the God is drawing to himself seek him. Romans chapter 3 is very clear about that. No one seeks after God. No one desires godliness. But you have people who are seeking different things, and, and they look like they're, they're seeking after him. I love what Aquinas, one of the great church fathers, had to say when Aquinas said that such people are not actually seeking God. Instead, they are desperately seeking peace, seeking relief from their guilt, seeking something to fill the emptiness of their souls and their lives. Now, we know that the only thing that can satisfy the longing of their soul, the emptiness of their lives, their, their sense of needing forgiven for forgiveness from guilt, and indeed real peace in their life, we know that that can only come and be satisfied as a hunger and a thirst through Jesus Christ, through the Father, through the Son, through the Holy Spirit. That can only come in God. But people are seeking after peace and, and a, 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 a lesson in their guilt in a thousand different ways. Some do it in, in, in drugs. Some do it in multiple relationships that go far deeper than those relationships ought to go that are ungodly relationships. Some seek it through, through a bottle and alcohol and just trying to drown themselves and forget everything that's around them so that they can just be numb to the world. And, and they're seeking after peace. They're seeking after something, but they're not really looking for it where they can be found. regularly quote country songs, but you know, there's a country song looking for love in all the wrong places. People in our culture today, you know that, I can tell. People in our culture today, don't, they, don't under, they don't understand where they can find real peace. They don't know where they can find real forgiveness of sin, and so they seek it in every possible way. People desperately search for the things that only God can give them while at the same time they're fleeing from Him. But when we worship, we worship by seeing Him in all His glory. I think one of the most beautiful expressions of worship is found in, in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 and 47. It, it's Mary 
the mother of Jesus in what is called her magnificat, her, her, her expression of, of worship and praise, when she simply cried out this, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. She's just exalting Him. She's lifting Him up. That's why when we sing these songs that are up on the screens and when we're when we're going through our time of praise and in this experience we call worship here, those songs we choose, we, we want them to do two things. One, we want them to, to point us to, to the truth. We want, us to, want them to point us to the, the biblical truth of the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. But we also want them to point us to the glory of God that is found in Christ Jesus. We want them to exalt his attributes. We want them to exalt his character. We want them to exalt who he is so that as we sing, we're saying back to God, you are a mighty God. You are a glorious king. You are a a mighty savior. And you're worthy of our being here, not just because of what you've done, but because of who you are. And so we say, come back to the heart of worship. We sing, come back to the heart of worship because it's all about you. What have we made it? We made it a thousand other things. We made it about us. We made it about what I can get out of it. We've created in evangelicalism today. I saw this. I've used this term before. I saw it in a book this last week, and I was glad somebody finally caught up with me on this. But we've created in evangelicalism a a, a sort of a smorgasbord of churches. You ever eaten at a smorgasbord? Uh, we kind of make them sound a little nicer now, I guess, a, a buffet. You know, it's, it's just everything you can imagine, everything you want to eat. You just go and, and you just graze for as long as you want to. You just eat and eat and eat and just fill up. And, and we've kind of made church life in evangelicalism a, uh, a smorgasbord right here in Somerset, Kentucky. You can go to any number of churches and find all sorts of different things going on during this hour. You can find people being recognized and applause for their accomplishments. You can go and you can find everything in the world being exalted other than Jesus Christ. You can find everything else being lifted up. You can find entertainment. I had a, I had a call three weeks ago in my office. I don't know how they got through to me, but they did. And, uh, and it was a guy, and he said, listen, I'd really like to come and minister to your church on a Sunday morning. And, and I, I have a policy. Anybody I want to minister, I know about typically, and I will call them. They don't call me, but he got through to me. And I, so I thought, well, I'll play along a little bit. I said, well, good. What would you do if you came? He said, well, you know, my real giftedness is I'm a, I'm a Christian comedian. And he said, I want to tell you something. I'll have your people rolling in the aisles. I'll have them so enjoying church that you won't ever. And, and said, many of them will make decisions just based on their laughter that day. I basically said, thank you, my dear friend. Don't call me. I'll call you. No, I won't. But, but you know, the, the whole idea, if I can just come in and get you laughing, if I can just entertain you, if I can just get you thinking about how fun this is, then everything is. Listen, 
God's word says, come and worship him in spirit. It's not about you. It's not about what you really like. You know, that's why we get all caught up in, in worship, you know, that, that we're, we're thinking, well, we, we can't have a guitar maybe or can't have drums. We, we just want a piano and organ. Well, I can take you back to a point in church history where they thought when they brought that, that horrible secular piano and organ into a church, they were violating the, the word of God. All they wanted was a shofar and, and maybe a, a little string something or another, and that was it. There they bring organs that were played in theaters and pianos that were played in bars into our churches. I mean, you know, it's it's a cycle thing because it's not about us. It's not about just having our taste satisfied, having our enjoyment satisfied. It's about Him. And when we come and worship Him in spirit, we come and we look into His face and we we desire to know Him, not just individually. You can do that in your prayer closet. You can worship Him in your closet. You ought to be worshiping Him when you're by yourself. I've talked about that before. You ought to be worshiping Him when you're riding down the road and put in some Christian music and just sing to the top of your lungs. My best singing is done when I'm by myself in my car. And you're thankful. That's when I do my loudest singing by myself in my car. I heard that. You can worship personally, but when we come here, we come as a corporate body. We come as a corporate body, the body of Christ, to, to not, I don't want you sitting there saying, well, it's just me and Jesus here worshiping. It's just me and, no, it's not just you and Jesus. It's you and us together lifting our voices, lifting our hearts, encouraging one another stimulating one another to good deeds and to love one another. That's what the writer of Hebrews said when we studied Hebrews. Remember, they said, don't, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some, but meet together regularly, stimulate one another to love and good deeds and encourage one another in your walk. You must worship in spirit from the innermost part of your being. That's why when you come... You ought to come with a prayerful attitude, and we'll talk about preparation. I talked about that a little bit in my Grace Notes article this week. We'll talk more about that. You ought to come having prepared yourself that morning and the night before even to to think about the Word. If you know what the text is going to be, and you do most of the time, you ought to come in having read the text and thought about the text and prayed and asked God, Lord, prepare my heart to hear your Word and prepare my heart to sing from my very soul, from my very spirit to worship you. Prepare yourself to worship in spirit. And then you, then Jesus says, but it's not just in spirit, but it's in truth. We're told also to worship him according to the truth. Jeff prayed that a while ago, and I thought he was going to steal my sermon right in the middle of his prayer. You know, I don't think there's been a time in Christian history when there's any more experimental stuff going on, and they call it worship. Playing with, you know, how can we worship? And they, uh, they, they'll do drama and they'll do, all, they'll do Christian comedians. They'll you know, do whatever it is. To, they'll say, oh, let's just forget the preaching of the Word and let's just sing the whole time. Let's just don't focus on the centrality of God's Word. Well, that's not what worship is. The Old Testament has some examples of, of uh, experimental worship. One is found over the book of Leviticus. It, it's not very pretty. In Leviticus 10, where you have Nadab and Abihu, uh, they're the sons of Aaron, and they were in the priestly order. And it says in, in verse 1, he says, uh, 
they took their respective fire pans, that is the incense that they're offering before the Lord, and, they, and after putting fire in them, they placed incense and, offer, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. I don't know if it gave off pretty colors. I don't know if it, it, it may be more like fireworks, and it just really seemed exciting, and, and, and they wanted to try something new. But they said, hey, let's try something new here. Let's take something before the Lord that he hasn't commanded in worship. Well, if you go back to the law, we won't have time to do that today, but, but you go back and see God very clearly specified how these offerings would be made, these incense offerings. And Nadab and Abihu just said, hey, we'll do it our way. We'll worship God in our way. And, and God said, no, you're not going to worship me in your way. You're going to worship me in my, my way, the way I've commanded, or you're not going to worship me at all. And I, Those words are not here, but how do you know that? Well, verse 2. And after they offered this strange fire, fire came down from the presence of the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. Now, we look at that in 21st century Christianity, and we say, boy, that was awfully harsh of God. That was awfully harsh of God to consume them and, and, and have them die in his presence. And Moses said to Aaron, uh, it is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near to me, I will be treated as holy and honored before all the people I will be, and before all the people I will be honored or glorified. So Aaron therefore kept silent. There's an implied there that Aaron said, what has God done? He's taken my sons from me. These are, these are priests before the Lord. Why has he done this? That's not fair. I, I, I fathered these sons, and I fathered them the line to be priests, and now God has taken them. God's not being fair with me. And, and Moses said, listen, God has made it clear. He will be honored. You don't worship God in your way. You don't, they can't worship him and lead us in worship in the way they want to do it. They have to do it in the way that God has commanded truth. Let's worship him in truth. That's why I had Ricky read the beginning of the Ten Commandments this morning as our, as our scripture. Most people don't realize that the Ten Commandments start out with the first four commandments that have nothing to do with us, one another. It only has to do with us before God. They're about worship. You will have no other gods before me. You shall not make anything an idol. You should not make a graven image of anything in heaven or on earth. Don't have angels that you worship with and, and don't have cows that you worship with. You don't worship your way, you worship my way, God says. There have been seekers since, you know, in our day-to-day -day with all these, most of, a lot of worship services in our world today are, 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 are developed by opinion poll. You know, you ask people what they want, you do it. We want this, we want this, we want less of this. We like 15-minute sermons, 12-minute sermons. Let's just don't even do the sermon. Uh, we like all that. Let's just do that and let's just be entertained for an hour and we'll call it worship. It's not worship. The only, I only think of one worship service in, in the Bible that kind of was that, was kind of a seeker-sensitive, felt-needs worship service where everybody just said, here's what we want, and they all came together and they, they worshiped the way they wanted to do it. And you know where that was? It was the, mount, the foot of Mount Sinai when they made a golden calf. And they said, this will be our worship. 
This will be our representation of Yahweh. They weren't trying to bring the old gods from Egypt necessarily back. They were just saying, we're going to worship Yahweh with his golden calf, jewels all over it, golden, beautiful, expensive, everything's great. We're going to worship God like this. And God said, no, you're not. I made it clear up on the mountain, and Moses is about to come down and see that and tell you about it. You shall not make a graven image and call it me. For God is spirit. You can't see me. You know what I look like. You can't make something to represent me. If you make anything to represent me, it will always be wrong. It will always be wrong. You must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus said the Father wants people to worship him in accordance with what he wants. Come, again, we'll look at this more in depth in weeks to come, but you come before him in humility. You come before him acknowledging who he is. You come before him to worship. That's why, listen, you, I've said this a thousand times and I'll say it a thousand more. When you come to Grace Baptist Church, you will worship. That will be the focus for the hour or the hour and a half hour and 15 minutes, whatever it turns out to be. We're not on a time clock. But you'll come to worship. When you, when you come in here, we talk, we laugh, we make some announcements. But when the call to worship is ordered, when generally it's a scriptural reading, we use the baby dedication, parent-child dedication today as our call to worship. But we read scripture in that, and we focused on what it means to covenant before the Lord. That was our call to worship. Generally, it's just a passage of scripture saying, come and worship the Lord. Come and see him. Come and know him. Come and lift your voices to him. And then we go right into singing. And from the time we have a call to worship until the time we do a benediction, a closing, we concentrate not on me, not on you, not on us, but we concentrate on Him. I want you to see Him. I want you to think about who He is. I want you to think about how great and mighty and awesome He is. That word still has meaning for God. How awesome He is that we, 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 we're awestruck when we come into His presence. We, we literally want to be like David when he saw the Lord high and lifted up in the temple. In Isaiah chapter 6, like Isaiah, we, we want to fall on our faces before Him and say, Oh, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a woman of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. I have seen the glory of the Lord and I just have to fall down before Him. Isaiah prayed there, Lord, have mercy on me. Isaiah praised him there, Lord, please don't, don't destroy me. He saw his character. He saw him for who he was. The modern God of evangelicalism has been so cheapened, so dumbed down, that he's just another option. He's just like you grandfathers out there. Give them anything they want because we're going to send them back home anyway. It's not the way God is. God is a holy God. We'll talk about His holiness next week. He's a holy God who calls us to worship Him in spirit and in truth. 
Oh, the woman was so struck. She said, I, I, I know that Messiah is coming. I know the Christ is coming. I know when he comes, when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus basically says, it's being declared to you right now, madam. For I am he who is to come. We come before him. We come before him in spirit and in truth. Some of our spirits will be a bit more expressive than others. Some of our spirits will be a bit more loud than others. The key is not how loud or how expressive or whatever. The key is what's happening within. Do I see him and do I know him? Do I seek his glory above everything else? Let's pray together. Father, guard us, Lord, from experimental worship. Guard us, Lord, from trying to do things our way and wanting it our way. Guard us from thinking it's about us. We know, Lord, it's all about you. Father, I pray this day that your Holy Spirit will minister to us your truth. Lord, you'll show us your glory, and we will worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, I pray for men and women here who don't know you, for young people that don't know you. I pray your Holy Spirit will move in their life, and Father, bring them to faith in you. Father, I pray this morning that you will move as only you can, to renew us and revive us to be your people in this city and beyond. Thank you, Father. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.